Um, hey, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to thank everybody. Uh, those of you that you come every Sunday and Sundays is your home, thank you so much for being a part of this church and investing in us, your resources and your time and your gifts and many, many different uh, ways folks are doing that. And I'm so grateful to be doing church with you. And those of you that are new or you're just checking us out for the first time, thanks for coming. Even if you're just listening online, we, we thank you for taking a risk and we hope that what we do here today helps you take the next step in your relationship with God. I do want to like just point out, have you seen our hallways? Don't they look awesome? Yeah. So we're in the middle of renovation here, and this has been like, uh, uh, like a four- or five-year process for us. We started with the roof and parking lot, and now we're inside the, some of the spaces that you guys see, and uh, you guys raised uh, over $100,000 for that hallway project, and actually we're taking it a little further. We're going into the children's classrooms as well, so we're going to be recarpeting the hallways, painting. You can see a whole new look out there. We're not going crazy, but we are trying to keep up and take care of uh, this wonderful asset that God has given us. I want to let you know we have an amazing opportunity before us. Um, the carpet that we're getting is airport quality in uh, the hallway in the kids' classrooms, and we're getting that at cost from a contractor that doesn't go to this church. Um, it's just super generous. And uh, so we got a great thing going with them, but there are spaces left to be done. This, this worship center, um, uh, the upstairs hallways, and the classrooms, but we could knock all this out for $130,000 more. So the reason why I tell you that is I don't, I'm not trying to twist your arm for money, but um, this is a great opportunity for us. So if one of you would like to drop $130,000 into the Capital Improvement Fund, we thank you very much for doing that, and then we'll be done, and we won't have to talk about this anymore. We're going to keep you updated, but, I mean, just do the math, you know. Uh, if 130 people gave $1,000, da-da-da, you know, I'm not going to uh, grind you on that. But really, really, really consider, pray about this and see if, there, if you don't have more than you need and besides your regular tithe and offering, contribute to our capital improvement fund. And every one of those dollars that's designated to that goes directly to that project. And when we get done with this inside, this is on my bucket list. My whole plan has been to get this place done so that we can get to the fun stuff. And to me, the fun stuff is a playground outside and a courtyard where we can hang out and be family besides just hanging out around the donut table. So uh, we're really excited about that next new phase, but we've got to do the best thing, uh, make wise decisions here on the inside. So please do that. A lot of you come, like, uh, you know, on Sunday, and you have, a, uh, you have a lot going on. And, you know, some of my dear friends, uh, James and Terry, you came to church on your birthday. No? Not true? You faked me out? Okay, it is your birthday. You're 29. So uh, that's so cool. Birthdays. Anybody else come here to church on your birthday? Where else would you want to be than church? Happy birthday. So I'm not even counting mine anymore. So, geez, no fun. So I bet you, you have heard of this person, the Apostle Paul. Anybody heard of him? Heard of him? Like, and you may know him. It's like he's a pretty good Christian, right? He wrote so much in the New Testament. How many of you think the Apostle Paul is a pretty good Christian? Some of you have no idea. Like, you know, is that a guy? Okay. Well, here's what Paul writes about himself. 
in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. In verse 19, when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. You know, I can totally relate to that in regards to chocolate. Because in my house, if there's chocolate in the house, fruit rots. Healthy things rot. And I, you know, like, I can be good all day. I'm an oak during the day. But about 7 o'clock every night, a demon takes me over. And that demon loves chocolate. And so if there's a bowl of dove chocolates next to the couch where I lay and watch television, in a matter of 30 minutes, that bowl will be empty, and I'll be surrounded by wrappers. It looks like something bad happened here, you know. I just love chocolate. And what you should catch is, like, I'm, I'm pretty classy about my chocolate, too. I didn't mention any of that low-grade stuff. I talked about Dove chocolate, right? So I'm not here to confess my love of chocolate, though, right? But maybe you can relate through that to what the Apostle Paul says. He goes on in verse 22 of Romans 7. He says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. And the law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And in verse 24, what, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? So what I want you to catch here is this person that most of us know as a pretty good Christian is perplexed, even says, I'm miserable because of sin's dominance over me. Now before we jump into what is really our talk today, I... I want to dispel a couple of myths. Um, the first myth I want to dispel is that Christians are perfect. We all struggle. And maybe, maybe you don't feel like you're a good Christian because you're tempted or even sometimes you're, you give in to sin. And that voice in your head is shaming you and bringing guilt, and it just piles on. Truth is, everybody struggles. And some of you are here, and you, you took a chance on church today. Maybe you haven't come to church in a really long time, or maybe this is your first time a friend invited you, and you're like, you're wondering, like, what will I find there? Will I find a bunch of people who are, you know, like, nice, and hopefully we're nice, but they're perfect, and their families are perfect, and they'll talk about how perfect they are, and I'm just going to feel worse when I leave. You took, you took a big chance. You know, one of the things that we say here often is that everybody's welcome here because nobody's perfect, and we mean that. There's a children's book that became popular, I, I don't know how long ago, uh, Everyone Poops. Are you allowed to say that in church? Because I just did. You know, I, there should be another book written titled Everyone Sins. But I have good news. 
We're in good company because the good Christian, the Apostle Paul, wrote about how he struggled with sin. So if you, if you struggle often with sin or like daily temptation, I want you to know that church is a great place for you to meet people that you have something in common with, that we all struggle. But that's not an excuse, right? It doesn't matter like how long you're a Christian or like how committed you are. The truth is you're, we're always going to struggle with this. Now, I want to be clear that Jesus won the war, right? We talked a few weeks ago about how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If, if, if you are a Christian, there is no condemnation. John wrote that if we confess our sin, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. But daily the battle goes on, doesn't it? As long as you live, you're going to struggle. You're always going to be tempted to let your temper rip. You're always going to be tempted to not be generous and to be selfish. You're always going to be tempted to, to reignite that relationship that you know is not good for you. You probably always be tempted in lust. You always be tempted to uh, enjoy the comfort of your blankets or the beach on Sunday morning when you know you should be with the family of God. And you're always going to be tempted to trade out that money you set aside for your church for something you just can't have to have on Amazon because they told you you might also be interested in this. And you were. I don't know about you, but as a fellow struggler, I don't want to be dominated by sin, by the destructiveness of sin. And so a few you know, early in the summer, we started a series called I Promise, where we're reflecting upon some of the promises of God that he makes to us. And we, f we found that he's not just a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. And I think that one of the most great and precious promises he makes to us is this. And it's a regard to temptation. And it, this is the first thing in your notes. I will show you a way out from temptation. That's a promise from God, and it comes straight from the apostle... Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a fellow struggler. And he said, remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience and that God is faithful and he will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand against it. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Now quickly, going through that, I want you to see first of all that everyone is tempted. You're not the first. You won't be the last. It's not worse for you. And it's not better for others. We're all tempted. But it's also true that God is faithful. Even when we're not, Paul says that he will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give into it. God will show you a way out. That's a promise, and that's a promise we can stand on, but we have a choice in the matter. I want you to see that 
this verse closes with this. When you're tempted, he will show who a way out. This is the participative part of my message. You. So that you will not give in to it. I want you to see that we have options in this process. You know, there's, there's plenty of misguided teaching on this particular verse and this idea of temptation. Some people will say, well, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. They that's a misreading of this text because it's a misreading theologically, but experientially I know this because God gives me stuff all the time I can't handle. Anybody say amen to that? Well, in and of myself, I can't handle it. Um, and the truth here is that I'm part of this process. To have choices in the matter. I love how Paul talks about the Christian life being like an athlete. And he says, I, I keep my body under control. I, I beat it into submission, the King James says. Because there are things in me that want to be done that it's on me. Not me alone, but on my choices to control it. See, we have the option to accept God's forgiveness and we have the option to face temptation through the power and promises of God, or not. See, there's a choice. It's not always an easy choice, but it is a choice, and God will show the way out, but it's up to us to take it. So there are some corresponding concepts that go with this truth. It's not, it's another uh, teaching you might have heard. It's like, it's like a magic bullet that I just pray or I say, you know, God, you, you uh, take this temptation away and it goes away. That doesn't always happen. We're part of this. And so there are some concepts that contribute to this promise. And that's what I want to talk about today. The first one, when it comes to temptation, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. It begins with the way you think. And anytime there's like a fundamental issue about fundamental life and things that we all struggle with, like I always have a tendency to go back to the beginning and say, what, is this something that's just part of us? And you can see this in the fall of Adam and Eve. When the serpent tempts Eve, he creates doubt in her mind about who she is. You're not, you're not important to God, and he bases that upon what, who God is. See, God is denying you something that you really should have. He's not good. He's holding out on you. And he also creates doubt about what, what makes human beings happy. You, without this, you are not going to be happy. And it's God's fault because he's denying it from you. So that's still, that worked then. It still works today. And it usually comes in this form. It's like a Christian will say, I know what the Bible says, but I. Those two words will always follow someone who's caving. I know what the Bible says, but I. I know what the Bible says, 
about if I don't, if I, but if I can't have this, but I, but I need it. I know what the Bible says, but I can handle this. I know what the Bible says, but I know it will all work out in the end, even if I make a choice that's contrary to what I know to be the best choice. See, all temptation begins with a lie. It begins with a lie about us, about God, and about what is going to fulfill us. It's fake news, people. That's why I love, like, when Paul writes about this to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 2.26, he uses this phrase, come to your senses. You're not thinking right. It's all in your head. I, I pray that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. It's like, guys, have you ever had a friend that, like, he's just about to make the worst decision of his life? And, and your, your, your conversation with him, it starts with dude, right? You're like, dude, are you out of your mind? Doesn't it go like, it's like, dude, what, what are you thinking? Come to your senses. Temptation works because our thinking is flawed. That's why the best defense against the lie is the truth. The best defense against a lie is the truth. Uh, I, I have uh, six grandkids, and my youngest, Liberty, is a little over one, and she's on her own program, just like all one-year-olds, right? And uh, if you say anything contrary to what she wants, she says, ah! <laughs> or she has this pterodactyl scream, like, ah! And she runs away, or like ignores you, or she has another thing where she goes, and kind of like reaches out at your face. <laughs> it's like she knows what she wants. And uh, she doesn't want anybody blocking that because she knows what her happiness, where her happiness is found, right? Well, she has an excuse. She's one. But aren't we like that? Psalmist uh, wrote in Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's, that verse says a lot about meditating on Scripture and hiding the word of God in our heart, but it's also saying that we have to think through the lens of the truth. And that helps us because it's all in your head. If you're thinking with the truth, then you know that's not just a cocktail with your coworkers when you're on a trip. It's, it's more than that. If you're thinking with the truth, then you know that to buy that next thing that's going to put you in debt is only going to make you as happy as the last thing that puts you in debt, and you're still going to hate that debt. Thinking with the truth will help you combat the idea that when you struggle or when you get sidetracked that you can do life without your church family the people of God, because you can't. And thinking with the truth will, will help you make decisions that might be contrary to the choices or lifestyles of our day and time, because you'll know what's really going to satisfy you. So the next time you're tempted, stop and think about how the truth is one way 
that God gives us a way out. And before I go on, I'm spending, just trust me here, I'm spending more time on this first point than the other two, so we're going to finish on time if you're kind of watching it by points. But like, I, I want to address just this idea, for those of you that like, you think the idea of sin is antiquated. It's like, what, what do you think? Why would I, the temptation, sin, that's like, that's like so old school. But really sin is um, things that are prohibitions based on our values, right? And every culture, every time has a list of prohibitions. We have values that we operate upon. But a Christian should be. Our, our values are based on not how the culture's swinging or it's based on what the scripture says. So think about like the morals of our day or the values that we hold. It's like a lot of the Ten Commandments still stand, right? We know that it's we don't want to lie, steal, or kill. Where does that come from? If there is no God, where, where did it come from? What about the value of human life? We know that human beings are important. Does that just come because we say they are? You know, again, if, 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 you've been, if you checked out the news this morning, you know that in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas, we just had another mass shooting, and we're like, we're, we're devastated by that. We, our hearts go out to these communities and these families. Why? Because human value has life. But where does that value come from? For the Christian, it comes not because the culture tells us that human lives are important. It comes because we're made in the image of God. So it doesn't matter what color you are or what economic status you have or the amount of education you have or where you are in the country. Or It's like every human being is made in the image of God. So we have these values. Where, where, where does the, even in this day and time, where does the value of loyalty in marriage come from? Where does that come from? If there is no God. See, that, that's all sin is. I'm not trying to like lower what sin is, but sin is really just boundaries from a God who created people and society and as the creator, he knows, what, he knows what makes us tick. And so we can either follow his ways or not. But when we don't, I believe most of us, in most cases, we can see the destructiveness of rejecting that. So standing in temptation, part of it is like thinking right and thinking through the truth. Number two, um, you have a lot more control over temptation than you think. You have a lot more control over it. When uh, I was a kid, there was a comedian named Flip Wilson. Come on now, get a shout out for Flip Wilson. And he used to do this, this character, Geraldine. And he used to say, the devil made me do it. Well, maybe the devil did make you do it. But maybe not. Because we have a lot more control over it. See, temptations come from the outside in. The devil made me do it. But they also come from the inside out. And that inside out is a much bigger part of the picture than we first realize, and it, ex and it explains why the outside in works so well. Of what James says in James 1.13, he 
It says, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. It's pretty strong language there, but what the picture here in the original language is, is that of hunting and baiting, baiting um, animals to take the bait. And what, what's happening is the hunter uses a natural desire, a God-given desire of an animal for hunger. We, it's what keeps you alive, keeps us alive. So it's a natural desire pushed out of the boundaries into a danger zone. And so the evil one uses that bait. He baits us with our own healthy desires. And the way James writes it here, it's like you're trapped by it, but like there's even like the enticement is like the bait isn't just laying there. That He can jig the bait, you know, like a fisherman does. And it makes us even hungrier for it. My, my wife, Cindy, she's, uh, she's an amazing baker. All Dutch women are great bakers, by the way, because everything starts with butter and brown sugar. And those are my favorite. And she, when we got married, she, she had a recipe for lemon bars. Now, like, I'm not a lemon bar person. I'm a chocolate person like lemon bars. But I'm telling you, these things are ridiculous. And the... the um, has a shortbread crust on it that if you like just kind of suck on it you can taste the butter in it I think there's butter in it they're just amazing and on Tuesday night she made some for a neighbor and fortunately I got a few and she asked me do you want lemon bars and she, she knows I'm always trying to eat healthy like I mentioned and I'm like yeah yeah I guess I'll have one because I just wanted I wanted to affirm her and so <laughs> She brings me this plate, and I'm, I'm in my position, the husbandly position, on the couch with a pillow behind my head with a clicker in my hand, and she, she puts the plate of lemon bars, a plate of lemon bars, three nice-sized portions, on my chest, which is where the plate goes because it keeps the crumbs from falling into the couch as I eat them. And I'm like, oh, I can't eat all these. Yes, I can. And I found myself just saying, you know, um, lemon, that's like a citrus fruit. <laughs> so that's good for you. And um, uh, the crust is like flour, so that's a complex carbohydrate. And butter, that's a dairy product. And sugar is a simple car carb. You know, it's like these are all things that we need to survive, so um, I ate all three of them. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Cindy is Satan and she tempted me. I'm drawing an analogy here. But when we're tempted, uh, the trap or the hook is baited with something that's just in us already. It comes from the inside out. And we're much better off by early on not letting that train run. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. These are all things that are like part of our normal existence and survival. But they're taken beyond where God intended them to be. But if I, if I stop them early, 
then it's easier. And the more I kill those things, the easier it gets and, and the better it feels. So like a diet, for me a diet, like every once in a while I'll go on a diet and the first three days are murder. You know, I'm just thinking about what I'm going to eat next, how hungry I am, and how I want lemon bars or chocolate. And then, but then, like, after a few days, it's like, I'm okay. I'm never craving kale or anything like that, but I'm okay. Or, you know, when you first cut up your credit cards, you get on the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Program, you feel, you feel so deprived, don't you? It's like, I, 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 there's all this stuff. I need it. But when you pay off that first credit card or you actually save some money, it's like, that. it doesn't feel bad anymore. You've put to death those things. I've talked about Alex Honhold, the guy that climbed uh, El Capitan. Free Solo is the movie. You should watch it. And he, he climbs up these sheer granite faces and there's just like a barely a dimple in the granite, you know, straight up, and he can put his toe on that and push up from it. That's great if you're trying to climb El Capitan, but you don't want to give a foothold to sin in your life. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, don't sin, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold because footholds become strongholds. A couple months ago, I was mountain biking right here in these hills behind the church, and I went off the trail into the bushes. It wasn't like a major crash, but I just kind of ended up in the weeds, and I got back out, and something caught my eye. I looked down on my black shorts, and there was like a group of ticks, and they were all running, little tiny ticks, and they're all running around on my black shorts. How long do you think I left them there? Like, saw ticks, brushed them off. Felt everywhere, took my helmet off. I was like, I was freaked out. No footholds for ticks. No footholds for sin. So, the promise of a way out is also accompanied by beware of wrong thinking. Think with the truth and take responsibility for our choices. And then last, this is kind of related to the second point, is overconfidence is a problem. Overconfidence is a problem. Do you know that uh, every year two to three people fall to their death at the Grand Canyon? And last year in Yosemite, six fell. Do you know what they were doing? Taking selfies. Just a little closer to look better. Get a little better picture, right? That's insane, people. How many people have fallen big time to temptation simply because they got too close to the edge? Overconfidence is a problem. Paul talks about that in the verse preceding 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Verse 12, he says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful. For you too may fall into the same sin. You know, your greatest protection against sin is your fear of it. And the more comfortable we get with sin, the less afraid we are of it. 
I think I might have mentioned to you guys before that I used to be a fireman. That's still working a little bit, isn't it? But you'd be amazed to know that as a fireman, I'm afraid of heights. I don't mind a 100-foot ladder against a building, but you just put it out in the open, I, just, I don't like that at all. And uh, so when my family goes to Knott's Berry Farm, you know that supreme scream thing that you're just sitting in that little chair and the thing comes down around you and it lifts you up like 20 stories or something and some people like dangle and lean against that thing? You will never find me doing that. You'll never find me on that ride. You'll never find me watching my family get on that ride because I'm afraid of it. Because you know what I think in my head? Maybe this is like crazy stuff, but like I think, do they really have a preventative maintenance program here? Do they really check the latch? You know, like are they replacing these things? And I just think that one person that's going to lean against it, and they're going to be thinking all about preventative maintenance on their way to their screaming death. So I don't do it. I'm afraid of it. A few years ago, we were in Florida, and we went to this lighthouse, and I forget how high it was, but you got to the top, and you could go outside, and it just had like this cheesy little rail, probably from the 1850 or something around it, and uh, Cindy and my daughter were like leaning on it. It's like, come on out here, and I was like leaning. I came out, but I was leaning right against the lighthouse. I'm like, no, I can see from here. No problem. You know what? You will never hear about me falling from some great height <laughs> because I'm afraid of it. So if I'm ever on a vacation or something like that with Cindy and you hear I fell off a cliff, I was pushed. <laughs> Just remember that. When it goes on Dateline, no way Brett was near that edge. The greatest protection from sin is to be afraid of it. When I was a youth pastor in Huntington Beach, uh, one of the struggles that kids have is like they just hooking up all the time. And so they're like, well, it's just so hard, you know, like, you know, to not fall into that temptation. And I said, okay, so, so what am I going to do? Like, how do I help these kids? So I came up with seven ways, seven things, seven steps to keep from having sex as a teenager. And I'm going to share them with you today. I told them, don't go to dark places. Don't park alone. Don't go to the house when your parents aren't home. Don't kiss longer than seven seconds. I gave that, man, there used to be this thing, in seven seconds in heaven or whatever. I thought, eh, seven seconds is a good limit. Um, don't lie down. Don't unbutton and don't unzip. And I looked at him and I said, I promise you, if you follow those rules, you won't fall into that temptation because it'll keep you away from the edge overconfidence is a problem. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's something to remember as a Christian, isn't it? That there is an enemy, and he seeks our destruction, and he's looking for the opportunity. But if, if Christians walk around all overconfident, who do you think is going to end up the victim? It's like these scary movies, and I don't like scary movies. I mean, um, uh, Jurassic Park with the raptors, and uh, I just don't, and Alien, the first Alien, remember that? Like, there's an alien on the spaceship, 
whatever it was, yeah, a spaceship, and he's killing everybody, but the cat was missing. Remember this? And so a guy says, well, I'm going to go find the cat down the hallway where the alien was last seen. It's like, oh, he's dead. It's like, I know how this ends. Like, why would you go down there? Your, uh, your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the ones that get picked off are the ones that are placing themselves in a vulnerable position so that he can. It might be good for all of us to just admit, you know, there's just, I'm not really ready for that. Like, there's just some places I can't go. There's just some activities I can't be a part of. There's just some people I can't run with right now because it's too close to the edge. Uh, David wrote in the Psalms that God casts our sin away as far as the east is from the west. What if we had the same approach about temptation? What if we just stayed as far away from it as we possibly could? God has given us a way out to not be dominated by the destructiveness of sin and the choices that it brings. And that way out includes making decisions through the truth and not believing lies. It means being honest with yourself about who you are, regardless of what everybody else is doing, and what, and, and what is best for you. And all of us need to be aware of our own overconfidence. And then when we do fold, remember that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.